We have a quite difficult text to look at today. Uh, It's not really difficult to understand what's being said so much as it is to understand the logic of what's being said or the fairness of what's being said. This is a passage that is rather hard to believe, so I'm going to pray for us as we get started. Father, I just pray that we would be willing to hear your word today. Uh, We often meet scripture with our objections And they are objections that are formulated by our opinions. And and, and Lord, how, how dare we opinionate against the revealed, direct word of God available to us in the scriptures. So we lean into you to help us understand this today. We trust you today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So the common question that this text is going to answer is this one. What is original sin? What is original sin? And how is it fair? How is it fair? Um, Some of you have heard the term original sin or the phrase original sin, but you've not been sure what it is. Original sin, um, we say, is is that like a sin that's original? (laughs) Like a sin that nobody's ever done before? Is that original sin? Like if I go and I steal a candy bar, uh, let's say a whatchamacallit, which is a rather rare selection, and a Diet Mountain Dew, and walk out of there while thinking bad thoughts about my ex-wife, and issuing profanity out of my lips, and, and, uh, and binge drinking at the same time. Like that's a rather creative mix. Like is that an original sin? Okay, no, no, that's not what's being talked about here. So we need to define this. What is original sin? Um, Original sin, well, let me just say this. Um, this This is probably one of the densest doctrinal sections of the book of Romans. And I want, I want you to know that as much as we like to neatly categorize segments of scripture that are practical to us and segments of scripture that are for nerds and seminarians, I want to reassure you that there is so much value to be had in the scriptures that appear to be meaty doctrinally and that the practical, if you dig, if you dig, the practical application of what's being said by an intellect like Paul is it is a higher degree of, of down-to-earthness or how it affects our lifeness than even some of the stuff that James says at face value. And we're like, oh, we get that. So I want to encourage you to, to wade in with me this morning um, and look at this thing called original uh, sin. Paul uh, just got off of felt needs. Last week we looked at suffering. We talked about how do we have joy how do we have hope in, in tough circumstances? Um, because, again, that's practical. Now we're getting in the media. Oh, my goodness, we're venturing into boredom territory. Not true. So just hang with me this morning, okay? Um, here's the word he uses, therefore. So therefore is, is always a transitional biblical word that says, having in mind what we just talked about, now let me, now let me lead you into talking about something else. And so he says, therefore, after telling us that Christ, hope in Christ is enough for our suffering, that we will suffer as God's kids. Um, He says, says, therefore, okay, 
Therefore, the practical stuff I've already said, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, verse 12, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, verse 14, I'll skip to, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. I'm going to read that again. It's pretty deep. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who is a type of the one who was to come. Uh, if you remember in chapter 4, Paul uh, used the story of Abraham to show us how Old Testament believers got saved, to use today's language. They got saved the same way we get saved. They got saved by believing, by placing their faith in Jesus Christ to help them. I am not enough. We sing a song with language similar to that. I am not enough. Unless you come, unless you come, unless you intervene, unless you fix my brokenness, my mess. And here we find Paul using a story of someone much farther back on the timeline than Abraham to pull from. He's going to talk about the first, very first human being to grace the planet Earth. He's going to talk about Adam. And he's going to show you how even Adam's story gives prelude to the gospel that is the theme of the book of Romans. So Paul shows us all of history, all of history. This is what he's going to say today, or what he said that we've read. All history can be told as the story of two Adams. Not one Adam, but two. How many Star Wars fans uh, do we have today in the room? Anybody at all? Okay, handful. Um, six, to be exact. Uh, Star Wars has been called the tale of two Skywalkers. The tale of two Skywalkers. Why? Well, the first Skywalker, Anakin, gave in to temptation to embrace the dark side. And so it brought death, it brought destruction, it brought chaos into the entire galaxy. Okay? Second Skywalker comes along, who is Luke, and Luke's role in the story is to fix everything that Anakin messed up. So out of the disobedience of the first Skywalker uh, came a second Skywalker who was obedient and wanted to redeem what the first Skywalker had done. George Lucas, the writer, said that the central theme of episodes four through six was the redemption of Anakin, the first Skywalker, by Luke, the second Skywalker. And similarly, today, Paul will make the point that the entire storyline of the Bible is about the redemption of the first Adam by who he'll call, it's a, a technique the writer's using to draw a parallel, the second Adam, who is who? Jesus Christ. Here's a basic idea. 
Adam chose to defy God, just like Anakin. Defy God's authority. Reject him. Um, very clear command. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the only one you can't enjoy. And he ate of it. And because of that choice, you may not like this, because of that choice, death descended on human beings. It was planned that Adam and Eve live forever. Their sin is what brought death and destruction. Um, Humanity was created to live forever with God, and those who profess Christ indeed will live forever with God. Glory to God. That's awesome. But initially, death wasn't a part of the immediate plan. So even though you and I were not physically present with Adam in the garden, God regards Adam's choice in the scriptures that we just read to be our choice. And that is the doctrine of original sin. Because Adam was a sinner, you and I are sinners. Okay? So, Notice how verse 12 ends. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. In other words, um, we all sinned in Adam. And we say, that's not fair. How could that be possible? How could I be responsible for something I never played Pardon? How come death was automatically prescribed to me when, when Adam's the one who made the dumb choice? And this is, in fact, where one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century in C.S. Lewis, he struggled with this. It's fairness. In other words, we all sinned in Adam. Okay? The effects of Adam's choice, I would hope you would agree, are far from insignificant. We see them today. Because of this one choice, death comes to all. That means every disease, including 800 plus now from the coronavirus, every natural disaster, every painful struggle with cancer, every stillbirth, every divorce, every rape, every case of human trafficking, even the need for hell itself goes back to a choice Adam made. It just doesn't seem right. I mean, I don't even know, I don't, I don't know about you, I, I wasn't even there for that. It just doesn't seem fair. And so last week we looked at teenager texting and how they have um, all of these acronyms that they use, like LOL and SMH. And one that we didn't look at was the acronym, please don't respond in any verbal way uh, to what I'm about to say, but it's the acronym WTF. We look at this and think WTF, which of course means worship, teaching, and friends. You know this, right? That's what the acronym stands for, worship, teaching. We should put WTF out in front of the church in real big letters, worship, teaching, friends. And the millennials and Gen Zers say, no, we should not do that, please. How many of you are like, man, when I get to heaven, I want to kick Adam's bum. I mean, his decision has affected me. His decision has affected my family. Um, You know, and, and in calling Adam our representative, this is what God is really saying. This is what you need to understand. God is saying this through the Apostle Paul. I know 
that what Adam chose, I know in my omniscience, that what Adam chose is exactly what every human being from that point through the end of time on earth would have chosen were they Adam. That's why they're all sinners. That's why the curse has affected, infected human beings. Everybody would have made the same decision Adam made. And we say, wait a minute, I don't even like apples, right? Actually, the fruit isn't mentioned in the scriptures. We don't know that it was an apple. Wait a minute, I'm allergic. Wait a minute. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have made that choice Adam made. Well, just think about that for a minute. You can't even resist the Oreos in your cabinet. And the Oreos, it's not professed about Oreos that if you eat them, they will make you like God. Like that's not even advertised, but it was about the tree that Adam ate from. All we need for Oreos is a little milk motivation. That's all we need is a gallon of milk in the fridge and we're there in the Oreo bag. Heading to town. Some of you eat a row at a time. I know this. Okay? So, you think you would have stayed away from the tree that promised to make you God? Still, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't make the choice, Pastor. Still, I, it wasn't me that made it. Why should I suffer from his decision? Does it seem fair to be held accountable by something somebody else did? Fine. Fine. But have you not ratified the choice that he made throughout your life? Have you not confirmed that human beings fall? Hasn't there ever been some point where you adopted Adam's way of thinking. My way is better than God's. I'd rather do what I want to do than what God has asked or wants me to do. How many times in your life have you known the right thing to do and you chose the wrong thing anyway? We are Adam. Because we're human. There's a story of St. Augustine told 1,500 years ago. Augustine wasn't raised as a Christian. He ran with a pretty sketchy crowd as a boy. And they had some cool Latin name. Because he was an early church father, like the Destructors or something. And one night they were sneaking about town. And, and who we now know as St. Augustine, as a boy, said, let's go over there and take fruit from that tree. And they went over there and they, and they took pears off of a pear tree. It was someone else's property. And, and here's what he said. The pears didn't even look that good. None of us were even hungry but we went over and stole a bunch anyway, and we ended up just dumping them on the pigs. That was my paraphrase. Now I'll quote him directly. Much of it is um, difficult English translated. But we loved doing it because it was forbidden. Such was my heart, O oh God. Such was my heart 
which thou didst pity, even in that bottomless pit. Behold, now let my heart confess to thee what I was seeking there at that pear tree. When I was being gratuitously wanton or rebellious, having no inducement to evil, but the evil itself. What he said was, I can remember when I was a boy, I had no other reason for doing something bad than to do something bad. That is every human being since Adam. Now, I'll tell you, uh, this happened to, to me yesterday. I observed this happening in our home. I was supposed to go to City on a Hill on a mission trip with our church. And I had some head stuff, sinus stuff, and just felt ill. And I didn't want to be contagious to anyone else. And so I stayed home with four children all day long. And two times yesterday, I saw this happen. I won't tell you which kids I did in the first service, and Shannon told me in the second I can't give their names. But with no incentive, I will tell you this, with no incentive and for no reason, one of my kids pulls a ton of threads out of a, of a little ball of, you know those beautiful little soft balls of thread that just kind of have everything nice and neat and they kind of dangle from pillows, you know, the little decorative balls, and he pulls threads one by one out of this ball until it's just a pile of threads and no ball. And he has no motivation whatsoever to do what he did, except that he knew it was wrong. Knowing it was wrong was his only motivation. Another one of my children was given a toy by his nana. It was a lobster from when she visited Maine. And this toy had a plastic body and tail, and it had springs, like slinky springs for its feet and they bounce around and it sits on a countertop and kind of you know goes across the countertop if you get it going and and my other uh, my other kid <laughs> took each leg and stretched it out until the springs would not recoil so instead of looking like a lobster it now looks like a mop head right okay and he loved that toy He loved that toy. He cried after he broke it. Why? Why would he do such a thing? Because he knew it was wrong. And he delighted in doing what was wrong. And that is humanity. That is humanity. I, Shan says, you also have to remind them that you love your kids. Because you sound like you don't love your kids, and I know you do. So I want to remind you, I love my children. They're wonderful. Hope you appreciate the candor in the event that you have some version of chaos in your own home. In all of our lives, we can look back and we can point to something that we did for no other reason than that because it was wrong, yes or no. Yes, we can. We may have even nursed an affection for something. 
because it was wrong, because it was secret. It was like a morsel, a chocolate morsel sliding on our palate. We have all, often secretly so, resisted and resented the authority of God. So even though we weren't physically present with Adam when he sinned, we have ratified his choice. We have proven time and time again that we are no different than he and no better. The phrase, because all have sinned at the end of verse 12, means that we all sin in Adam because God regarded Adam as our representative, but he's, again, no more guilty than the rest of us. And so the result of this choice, this representative, this, in reality, collective choice, Paul says, was that death hits all people, which, of course, means physical and spiritual death. You may or may not struggle with the doctrine of original sin, but at least you'd concede that its effects are everywhere with few other plausible explanations, G.K. Chesterton said, original sin is the only doctrine that is empirically verifiable, meaning, hello, everybody dies. Everybody dies. The death rate in the human race is still one to one. For every human that there is, there's a death. Disease has affected everybody. Nice people, uh, poor people, rich people, cruel people, generous people, smart people, dumb people, young people, middle-aged people. Disease has affected all of us. And no amount of healthy eating, I don't know if you've noticed this, though we strive, can change the fact that we will die. We may stretch out time a little bit. We may make life a little less temporary, but it's still temporal. And eternity is forever, so live accordingly, Paul is saying. You've got to plan for the longer life. Some people pour so much energy in preparing for this short life. We've got to prepare for the longer life. And spiritual death means we were born, as I've said, in a posture against God with, with fists clenched toward the heavens. Yesterday, my kids, they were like the seagulls on Finding Nemo. Do you know this movie? What is the only quote that can be attributed to the, single, the seagulls in the whole film? Mine, mine, mine. Mine, 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 mine. That was them. They thought we ate three times an hour. I'm like, no, we eat three times a day. Like, stop asking me for food. Leave me alone. We had a two-year-old. She's being terrible right now. Ter terrible twos. You've heard that, right? And, and she, have you ever seen a two-year-old displaying selflessness? And generosity with toys. Okay? That doesn't happen. None of my kids yesterday said, Dad, it looks like you're not feeling well. Dad, I'll tell you what, we'll just all go in our room so that you can have some time for you. I can tell you in my eight-year history as a parent, not one kid has ever said that. Ever. Okay? So what are we saying? Please acknowledge kids are born thinking about themselves. They are. 
They want what they want when they want it. They make a stink until you give it to them. This came instinctively. They inherit it from their mothers in large part. So listen to this, though. Seriously, Burton White, who is an acclaimed secular child psychologist, famous for research on early child development, this is what he said, okay? Not a believer, not a believer. From 15 to 16 months on, as his self-awareness becomes more substantial, something in a child's nature that we don't fully understand will lead him to deliberately try each of these forbidden activities, specifically to see what will be allowed and what won't. In other words, he will begin systematically to challenge the authority of the adults he lives with. Resistance to simple requests becomes very common at this time, and if there is more than one child around, this can be a low point in the parenting experience, okay? That is like the understatement of the century, what he just said. A low point, like seriously, that's a euphemism, right? Uh, that, that's what, that, oh, that's what it's called when I'm ready to claw my eyes out, right? A, a low point, okay, I get it now. Something in the child's nature, which we don't fully understand. Paul understands it. It's the doctrine of original sin. So the believer, we can understand it because it's in the scriptures. That something inside of the child is the spirit of the first Adam who wants to do things his way. So even if we don't understand the logic of original sin, we can at least admit we see its effects everywhere, including among the young. If you really don't believe in sin, evil, let me say this. The beyond popular satisfaction of the self. If you don't believe in that, how else do you explain the pervasive wickedness that we see rampant in society? Why do riches almost always lead to corruption? Why does a love for food often lead to obesity? Why does moderation lead to addiction? Why does desire for power lead to abuse? I should note there is an alternate theory as to where our selfishness comes from. It is posed by um, the atheist uh, evolution theory. Basically, selfishness is bred inside of us. It's the survival of the fittest. Selfishness helps our species our family line, succeed, survive in harsh and competitive environments. Our family line is here, so says the argument, because we figured out a way to claw and crawl our way to the top, and that did not happen by being kind and selfless. And so according to the theory, there's no such thing as wrong, because wrong implies that there's a referee somewhere in the sky establishing the rules. And so there's only, not right and wrong, but there's only whether or not something is useful for the, they use that word useful for the propagation of the species. In recent, in recent years, Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris realizing that this, this view is morally bankrupt, it's hard to have a soft heart and hold this view 
they've said things like this. Well, now that we're in an advanced state, we see that kindness and love uh, can actually help us survive as humans in community. So we should choose those things. But what they're not saying is that love is inherently good. They're just saying it appears to be useful in this time in human history for the flourishing of the human race, whereas cruelty and dominance were once really useful. Isn't that odd? Does that even make sense? According to the theory, selfishness and exploitation and rape are not evil. Money laundering is not evil. There is no wrong or right. It's simply a matter of if it's useful to you at a given point. And if you're an, an atheist or agnostic, welcome to the mill this morning. Uh, we I love you. We're glad you're here. Um, but you must consider these ramifications, especially when it comes to things like justice. Martin Luther King said the reason segregation laws in America were unjust was because they conflicted with the higher laws of who? Of God. Not that they were useful for, for human flourishing. So there were some racists at the time who may have said, well, the old system, frankly, is more useful to us. The lynching system, that was more useful for, for us. MLK said, useful or not, it is wrong. It is wrong because all are made in the image of their creator God. But if, if we're all accidental, we can't say that. So we can only argue in terms of usefulness, not in terms of right or wrong. Because in order for something to be wrong, it has to have some kind of higher standard that it appeals to. I am a simple man. I love coffee. I don't do a lot of mochas and fraps and stuff like that. There's really only two basic options. The atheistic option, which says there's no such thing as good and evil, which makes justice impossible. The other basic option, the Christian one, which says every single person is horribly bent toward evil without intervention. Thanks, Pastor Zach. This is the most depressing sermon I've ever heard in my life, right? But in verse 13, here's where Paul turns a corner. He says this whole idea of being represented by one man is actually great news for us. And here's why. Because if, it, if we follow the logic, it allows us to be represented by someone else, by someone other than Adam. In other words, the whole world was put under sin by one man, but what if salvation could also come to the whole world through yet another man? There's a second Adam, Paul will say, that will be born into the human race, or that has been born into the human race. So ladies and gentlemen, Adam Schneer. No, I'm just teasing. Not Adam Schneer. Who's he talking to? Or about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, who's, who he's given the nickname the second Adam. Okay, look at verses 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification or salvation. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. That's cool. The first Adam selfishly disobeyed, ate from the tree, brought death on everyone. The second Adam obeyed and restored life to those who choose him. That's awesome. For those of you who love the book of John, John would bring to bear more of this. He also draws a parallel between Adam and, and Jesus. It's subtle, but it's fascinating. In Genesis 1, John uh, refers to, when he writes the Gospel of John, a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not considered a synoptic. Their, their, their stories are, are very similar. The, the events are very similar. John's kind of a bit of an oddball. Okay? He writes different, different style, different events. Okay? John's writing beautiful, beautiful gospel. So he's writing and he draws a parallel between Jesus and the word that flowed out of the mouth of God at creation. And he says, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word of God. Okay, so he says, out of the chaos and emptiness of the universe, God spoke his word and beauty and organization developed. And now out of the man Jesus Christ, beauty and organization flourishes in the life of human beings whose lives were once emptiness and chaos. Isn't that awesome? John makes that parallel. John points out that Jesus died on the sixth day, which is the day that Adam was created on. That's cool. Jesus' death was bringing an, an end, of course, to the first creation, so to speak. John shows us Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. A Sunday, that's why Christians stopped worshiping on Saturday, started worshiping on Sunday. So John highlights Jesus died with a crown of thorns on his head. Okay, what do you know about Adam? What was one of Adam's punishments for taking the fruit? He had to labor on the earth. He had to toil under the sun. And one of the things that was going to compete with his ability to get done was what? Thorns. Thistles. John makes the parallel that Mary found the resurrection, uh, the resurrected Jesus in the garden on the third day. She didn't know it was him. She thought it was a, it was a gardener, right? And, and, and John makes the point, do you remember where man and God were when they disconnected in the Old Testament? Well, it was in the garden. That's where Adam betrayed God. This is symbolic. Um, it's, it's as if John is making the point that God is saying, I came back from, for you and, and I met you in the exact place that you left me. One of my favorite jokes to share with the kids is, do you know where to find a no-legged dog? Same place you left him, right? Okay, Do you know where we find God? The same place we left him. He's waiting for us there. 
God has not forgotten you. Arms full of mercy. He's waiting for you to come back to him. He loves you. He cares for you. So Jesus is the second Adam. He restores everything the first Adam messed up. I'll conclude with this. What does this mean for me, Pastor? Verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, the cross, leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made Righteous. It means that in as much as you were condemned through your actions of a representative who did what any of us would have done in the garden, now we've been saved through the actions of a representative who did what none of us could ever think about doing. Giving his life for sinners. Verses 20 and 21. Now the law came into the, into, in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Though we were as scarlet, now we are white as snow. This is why we go to city on a hill. This is why we give to missions and missionaries. This is why we raise up leaders. This is why we plant churches. Edgar has had in the last like four to five Sundays on average like mid-70s. They're rocking it. They're killing it over there. It's amazing. This is why we want to plant in Rib Mountain at some point. Um, because this is why we're building a building. We can just keep on going. We, why would we do all that? Why? Why do we come to church? Because the whole world is guilty of the sin of the first Adam. They've ratified his decision, and the whole world needs to hear of the free gift of grace provided by the second Adam. That's why. You choose Jesus this morning. Do you choose the way of the second Adam? Would you bow your head? Would anybody here just say, I'm thankful that God is waiting for me at the place that I left him. I want to recommit my life to God this morning. I want to receive his grace, his mercy. Or, I've not believed in God or been unsure, and I want to place my faith in him for the first time today. I want to be a believer, I want to be a Christian. If either of those two situations pertain to you, would you just lift your hand so I can see it? With heads bowed and eyes closed. We had somebody that wanted to give their heart to Christ in the first service. It was awesome. I saw that hand. Fantastic. Anybody else? 
want to commit or recommit their life to God. Awesome, wonderful. Anybody else? Would you pray this prayer with me? Father, I'll ask you all to pray it if you're believers too. Father, I'm a sinner. I am Adam. I need you, the second Adam, to save me, to help me, to forgive me, to take my scarlet stains and make them white as snow. I believe in your death and your resurrection. And I believe you're preparing a place for me in heaven. Thank you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.